Section 12 of the Major Symptoms of Hysteria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet. Lecture 12. The Ticks of Respiration and Alimentation. Respiratory Paralyses. The Problem of Hysterical Asphyxia. Respiratory Anesthesia. Respiratory Disorders. The Rhythm of Chain Stokes the paralysis of the diaphragm with alternating seesaw respiration respiratory agitations polypnea inspiration tics the sigh yawn hiccup aerophagia expiratory tics hysterical cough laughter hysterical bark complex tics the meteorism of the abdomen the tics of alimentation bulimia polydipsia and polyuria the spasms of the jaws, cheeks, pharynx, the tick of erectation, the tick of regurgitation, the ticks of aspiration, hysterical vomiting, the vomiting of blood. We have to repeat in regard to respiration a study analogous to that which we devoted to the functions of alimentation. The phenomena are about of the same kind, though they are of less gravity. On the other hand, they are of infinite variety, and we might dwell indefinitely on the apneas, dyspneas, suffocations, respiratory disturbances, on the varied respiratory paralyses, on the innumerable tics, polypnea, yawn, sigh, sob, hiccup, cough, sneeze, bark, shakes of the abdomen, meteorism, without counting the tics of the organs of alimentation, which I should like to place by the side of the latter, namely, erectation, regurgitation, borborygms, vomitings, etc., do not be too frightened. We shall be brief on all this, for the general rules once known, these various phenomena are always similar to one another. 1. Let us first speak of the respiratory paralyses, and to illustrate our teaching, let us at once place a very curious example before your eyes. The case was published a few years ago by Monsieur Lermoyer, a distinguished specialist in diseases of the nose and larynx. Being very interesting as regards the theory of hysteria, and being described simply without any preconceived idea by a physician who has not made a specialty of the diseases of the nervous system and who is not engaged in the quarrels of our schools this case should have attracted the attention of scientists much more than it did a girl of about twenty was taken to monsieur lermoyer because her nose was obstructed by adenoid vegetations which disturbed her respiration and attention the vegetations were not very big and the operation was effected without any difficulty but it was noticed that the girl did not breathe better than before, that in particular she was obliged to keep her mouth open, which dried her tongue and lips. Monsieur Lemoyer thought the nose was still obstructed, so he examined it minutely, but he discovered nothing, for the respiratory channels were wide open. Wishing to prove to the girl that she breathed very well through her nose, that she kept her mouth open needlessly and out of habit, he applied his hand on her mouth with the idea that she would simply breathe through her nose. To his great surprise it was not so there was no breath through the nostrils the patient writhed as if she were choking and as he insisted on her trying again while she was being held fast her face and ears turned blue in a word this girl suffocated when you shut her mouth while leaving her nose open there was however no obstacle at any point there was only a singular disturbance of the nervous system an incapacity of effecting the respiratory motion of moving her chest in the least as soon as the mouth was shut as Monsieur Lermoyer very rightly said, 
this girl had forgotten how one manages to breathe through one's nose can a finer confirmation be found of our teaching on functional paralyses and amnesias have we not there a pretty dissociation of the respiratory function or at least of one of the parts of the respiratory function this example at once shows you that we shall find the same problems in the study of respiration yet it is incontestable that we cannot begin with so important and so definite a disturbance as anorexia the latter was as we saw the suppression the dissociation of the whole of alimentation going as far as inanition and death it was the great functional paralysis is there a corresponding absence of respiration a corresponding asphyxia suppressing all respiration and going as far as death the point is moot you may see the opinions for and against it in the book of m gilles de la tourette for my point i hesitate to admit that it can be true i have seen several persons die of hunger i have not yet seen any one die of suffocation hysterical asphyxia resulting from various disturbances in the respiratory mechanism does not seem to us to be capable in general of bringing about death a moment comes when asphyxia brings on fainting that is the arrest of the higher functions of the brain and the respiration being no longer impeded by these higher functions is restored owing to the automatism of the bulb therein lies in fact the difference i indicate to you between the alimentary and respiratory disturbances alimentation or at least the mechanical part of it consisting in the prehension of aliments is entirely a conscious voluntary function even if we die of hunger if we are in a swoon brought on by inanition no bulbar mechanism will cause us to eat whereas respiration is not entirely a conscious and voluntary function consciousness may disturb it greatly no doubt we shall see how many foolish things it may do but happily for us there is outside our consciousness a fundamental mechanism which is the safeguard of our hystericals this difference between hysterical anorexia and hysterical asphyxia as regards danger is still another fact to be pointed out in order to justify our mental interpretation of the disease however it may be there exist hysterical disturbances of respiration which fact we understand very well now we know the influence of the brain on this function Flourens, in 1842, connected respiration entirely with the bulb, but since the works of Kost in 1861, of Danilovsky in 1875, of Lépine, of Richet, of Franck, of Pachon, and especially of Mosso, we know very well that there is a cerebral respiration. When the brain is benumbed, the respiration decreases and is reduced. It seems that in total respiration there is a part of superfluous respiration or respiration of luxury, as Mosso called it, which depends on cerebral activity. It is this respiration of luxury that hystericals can modify in a thousand ways. We first find disturbances of the respiratory sensibility, which, of course, play a fairly important part in the evolution of the accidents, for you know that every loss of a function or every paralysis is accompanied by an unconsciousness relative to the special sensations that play a part in the function, that is to say, with a systematic anaesthesia. You will often find more or less diffuse anaesthesias distributed over the organs of respiration. The nose is very often insensible, and the absence of the perception of odours, anosmia, accompanies the respiratory disturbances as well as the disturbances of alimentation. The pharynx is very often insensible. You know that formerly Chéron wanted to make this insensibility and the loss of the pharyngeal reflex to tickling a symptom characteristic of every hysteria. This is very exaggerated, though the fact is frequent, since it accompanies the disturbances of alimentation and those of respiration you will find disturbances of sensibility distributed over the thorax and abdomen. 
what is more interesting you will be able in certain cases to recognize a very special anesthesia relative to respiration itself we feel our respiration and above all we feel the need of breathing monsieur bloch in eighteen ninety seven invented a curious apparatus for measuring this respiratory sensibility the subject is obliged to breathe through a tube the end of which is closed by a window of calculated dimensions a screw allows you to gradually reduce the dimensions of the window and the subject whose eyes are shut must indicate at what moment he feels a difficulty in breathing the figures obtained vary pretty much with the subject the hour of the day and the movements the subject has just made but i have been able to observe that in hystericals the figures are often very different and infinitely smaller the patient indicates only very late the need to breathe much later than a normal individual would do when she is already half suffocated this phenomenon shows a special unconsciousness of the respiratory need which is to a certain extent comparable to anorexy that is to say to the unconsciousness of hunger these disturbances of the sensibility are accompanied with motor disturbances of which the subjects are more or less conscious they can no longer breathe voluntarily though they do not arrive at total asphyxia for the physiological reasons i have pointed out they can no longer add to their respiration that luxury to which we are accustomed the subject complains of feeling oppressed of feeling contracted in her neck in her chest of suffocating of not being able to make air enter her chest sometimes these phenomena are consequent on accidents bearing on the respiratory organs we have just seen this in the case of l'hermoyer and the least cold in the head may cause similar phenomena in the patient in question sometimes they are consequent on any emotion whatever disturbing the respiration which the subject cannot restore in many cases the respiration abnormal during the waking state very quickly becomes normal again during the somnambulistic state or the periods of absent-mindedness the accident is quite conformable to the rules that apply to paralyses you should not believe however that these facts are connected with real paralyses of such or such an organ of respiration the paralysis is less definite here than in alimentary disturbances again for the same reason a most interesting phenomenon which i have very often recognized in this connection is a respiratory disorder an absence of regularity and harmony respiration depends on complex organs the nose the pharynx the glottis the thoracic cavity the diaphragm it cannot be effected correctly if everything does not work at the same time and in the same direction it is useless to dilate your thorax if you shut your glottis or swell your diaphragm this is what our patients do the efforts they make in their various organs are contradictory and that is the reason why they make only very little air enter their chest in spite of apparently considerable efforts bear this detail in mind you must not think that people breathe very much when they agitate their chest very much spirometric measures show us that hystericals breathe very little in reality in spite of great apparent heavings of their thorax and abdomen their respiratory disturbance is less a paralysis proper than a want of synergy this is also interesting for the comprehension of their paralyses which are as i have told you paralyses of a system one may no longer be able to ride a bicycle without having any apparent paralysis of the legs in certain cases however the respiratory disturbance may assume more determinate forms which have greater resemblance with known paralyses but these facts are rare and still discussed i merely indicate to you the problem i myself communicated to the congress of psychology held in paris in nineteen hundred a fact which is very important in my opinion namely the appearance of the rhythm of chain stokes in hysteria 
you know that about eighteen sixteen chain of dublin and stokes described a certain quite special irregularity of respiration which to their mind was characteristic of the most serious states as you see on this table figure sixteen this rhythm is characterized by respiratory pauses there is a series of ten to fifteen quick breaths then an arrest of the respiration which may last long half a minute in some cases then the active respiratory series begins again at the outset this phenomenon was only established in cerebral apoplexy in most forms of agony in certain varieties of cerebral tumours later on it was also found in typhoid fever in uremia in various intoxications monsieur mosso was the first to generalize this respiratory rhythm singularly he showed that it existed in simple natural sleep when profound and in general in all states of general numbness at a time when i used to take systematically and with some exaggeration the graphic of the respiration of all the hystericals i attended i was very much astonished to find with one of them a graphic which exactly presented the rhythm of chain stokes i refer you to my article if you wish to see studies which are not without interest in the modifications of this rhythm this patient was always in a state of absent-mindedness and reverie when her attention was attracted through any process her respiration changed and it became again nearly normal it is the same in the other cases of chain stokes that i found in hystericals this respiration exists in subjects who are in a condition of half sleep and who are incapable of any attention it vanishes when the subject is more awake and more active these observations are interesting in that they show the role of respiration in attention they are also important for the theory of hysteria for they show us here the disturbance of a function that of attentive respiration which is not a function known to the subject and which consequently cannot be disturbed through preconceived ideas in the same order of ideas i wish to indicate to you rather as a curiosity for this time i have seen only one case of the phenomenon a paralysis of the diaphragm with alternating seesaw respiration you know that in normal respiration the diaphragm falls when the thorax rises actively forces down the intestines and consequently swells the abdomen during each inspiration if the diaphragm is paralyzed it cannot perform this active movement it floats like an inert veil and allows itself to be drawn up during each thoracic inspiration the abdomen hollows inwards instead of swelling when the thorax dilates that is what is called seesaw respiration it was formerly considered as very dangerous and incompatible with life briquet already vaguely indicated an instance of it in a case of hysteria i have very accurately described an observation of this phenomenon relating to the girl whose whole trunk was paralyzed in consequence of a fall into a well you see in this graphic figures seventeen and eighteen that the respiration is very quick eighty respirations in a minute and that the graphic of the thoracic respiration t and of the abdominal respiration a are not parallel but discordant the abdomen hollows inward instead of swelling when the thorax dilates which i have pointed out as the sign of the paralysis of the diaphragm the young patient of this case had undoubtedly a number of hysterical accidents and this phenomenon was i think of the same kind but it is i own a phenomenon whose presence in hysterics is still open to discussion if this presence is confirmed we shall be obliged to admit more profound older functions relative to the movement of the diaphragm which may be troubled in certain serious forms of hysteria as old functions are disturbed in hemiplegy and hemianopsia two to those paralyses of the respiratory function are added as is always the case and according to the rule we know automatic agitations 
the functions are never entirely lost in hysteria they are emancipated in this state they are performed in a more or less absurd manner without the will of the subject as there are in the respiratory function a quantity of small distinct functions each of them may emancipate itself separately and give rise to very varied tics let us put in the first rank the exaggeration of total respiration polypnea here is a fine case a is a man of thirty a foreman in a seaport one day he was commanding some workmen who were working a capstan in order to raise a tall mast he saw a rope break and the mast incline and fancied that it was falling on his workmen which caused him to utter loud cries no accident occurred but he was so fatigued with this emotion that he was obliged to return home the next day it was noticed that he breathed in an odd way the respiratory disturbance grew little by little and turned to a great polypnea which lasted several months he kept on breathing with unheard-of quickness and force his chest heaved very strongly and very quickly without any interruption he had eighty-eight then ninety-seven respirations a minute instead of the normal eighteen figure nineteen this formidable respiration exhausted him threw him into a perspiration and above all did not leave him the least freedom of mind he sat motionless on his chair thinking of nothing doing nothing but breathe notice also that continual parallel of the disturbances of respiration and those of attention as soon as he was hypnotized the respiration became calm and he was very quickly cured through this process but note in passing a fact to which we shall revert later on our patient remained cured for two years then he lost a little daughter and do you know what disturbance he was affected with in consequence of this grief was it a somnambulism or a crisis as was the case in so many of the patients we passed in review no it was the same polypnea which began again and had to be cured through the same process by the side of this case might be put that of a girl who breathed seventy times a minute after suffering an attempt at rape and many of the same kind after those exaggerations of the total respiration let us rapidly enumerate the exaggerations of details the ticks bearing on such or such a particular function let us first consider inspiration ticks exaggerated inspiration which is connected with a certain degree of dyspnea and will assume the form of continual sighs when a little stronger it will be a sob then a yawn you know what importance was formerly attributed to the hysterical yawn which was thought very amusing nothing in fact is more singular than those poor girls who all day long and two or three times a minute yawn till they almost disjoint their jaws it is one of the phenomena in which the imitative contagion is best exhibited it is also a phenomenon in relation with the disturbances of alimentation it is the same with the last inspiratory tick the hiccup which is also very frequent the hiccup is nothing but a very rapid inspiration with a certain degree of spasm of the glottis the air cannot re-enter quickly enough because the inspiration is too rapid and also because the glottis is a little closed this results first in a certain characteristic noise and also in a certain thoracic vacuum which causes an aspiration in all the organs you can see this fact in the graphic of hiccup figure twenty when the hiccup appears at the beginning of each inspiration the abdomen is aspirated and the graphics of both respirations thoracic t and abdominal a are momentarily discordant this will presently play a great part in the phenomenon of aerophagia with patients who swallow air and in vomition let us only remark that the hiccup is one of the most frequent phenomena when looking over my notes to prepare this course of lectures i counted twenty-nine great observations of hysterical hiccup that had lasted for months together among the expiratory ticks we shall first range the hysterical cough 
that little phenomenon so frequent at the outset of the disease there are in this connection clinical observations on the evolution which are facts of experience and cannot very well be accounted for thus the hysterical hiccup is to my mind a rather serious phenomenon of bad prognosis it points to a great hysteria the hysterical cough which is almost like it is a more commonplace and less serious phenomenon almost every girl has had an irrepressible cough in consequence of a certain cough of efforts in singing or of fits of bashfulness when the phenomenon is isolated it is very difficult in my opinion to say whether we have to deal with incipient hysteria or with a mere psychasthenic tick as always pay attention to the state of the sensibility to the degree of the unconsciousness and to the effects of distraction one degree further you have hysterical laughter those interminable crises of laughter which develop for hours together like real fits of hysterics you know the psychological problem of laughter and are aware that this phenomenon apparently so amusing is a torturing problem for the unfortunate scientists you should not fancy that laughter is always the expression of joy certain hysterical laughters are of this kind thus a girl of bad morals had undergone a little surgical operation for which she had been half chloroformed but during this trifling operation young students of the hospital who surrounded her had kept joking her and making her laugh probably under the influence of the chloroform this laughter was transformed into an independent automatic phenomenon and persisted as a tick but in other cases laughter accompanies pain it accompanies nervous exhaustion and is to be observed in great delirious attacks it is probably a phenomenon of derivation of the nervous strength very difficult to account for one degree further and the expiration more violent and accompanied with spasms of the glottis will bring about the most varied cries the famous hysterical barks you know that they occurred epidemically in the middle ages and that in the convents nuns began by hundreds to howl bark or mew it was necessary to threaten them with a hot iron to silence them it is by far less widespread nowadays and is not so epidemic but nevertheless it exists very often under various forms in many cases this tick is mixed with some phenomena of disturbances of speech of which we have already spoken little by little the bark becomes a particular word the name of a person or some obscenity or other you understand in fact that all these various ticks we have analyzed may be mixed with one another and give rise to complex phenomena one of the most interesting is that to which i alluded just now when speaking of the hiccup the hiccup through the vacuum it determines in the thorax produces a draught in the oesophagus and causes the subjects to swallow air after three or four hiccups the stomach is full of air which brings about another fact namely the expulsion of those gases from the stomach through an erectation therefore as you may easily notice great hiccups are always interrupted now and then by erectations of different tones i used to note down in the following manner the noises that one of my patients regularly made nup 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 za and thus indefinitely this same patient complicated her respiratory disturbances a little by adding to them disturbances of speech thus the noises of her hiccup were often transformed into veritable words now and then she would repeat all right and all rock which sounded about like the name of a medical attendant it even appears that the noise nup nup had been consequent on the reading of a novel in which some savages sang you you with those same complex ticks of respiration i should like to connect an exceedingly curious phenomenon the swelling of the abdomen or materialism it is necessary that you should know this phenomenon well because it is the one which gives rise to the most common and grotesque medical errors 
you know of those newly married young women who long to have a child the menses are suppressed the abdomen becomes big and hard the breasts hard and coloured there are nauseas and vomitings a midwife is called in she feels the arm of the child and fixes the date of the delivery this date comes and nothing ceases the expectation continues one fine day everything disappears without its being possible to know what has become of the child it is the famous nervous pregnancy of which i have noted down about ten cases and of which one should beware the error is less serious here than when these swellings of the body are attributed to various tumours and operations are counselled however that may be this abdominal swelling is not very easy to account for the old theories of the time of charcot connected it with a paralysis of the intestinal walls admitting of the dilatation of the gases i am much more inclined at the present day to believe that it is due to respiratory phenomena one of those phenomena is a spasm of the diaphragm which remains lowered and compresses the viscera forward but it only brings about the smaller swellings the other is in relation with that same aerophagia which i have just mentioned certain patients eject the air they have inhaled by means of erectations others do not succeed in emptying their stomach through the upper end they force their pylorus open and send this air into their intestine which determines varied disturbances of the digestion and in particular diarrhoea but at the same time a sometimes enormous swelling of the whole abdomen you may imagine many other combinations of these respiratory disturbances three but before leaving the subject of visceral disturbances i should like to tell you briefly of some other very important tics which depend on the function of alimentation of which we have spoken most of these tics of alimentation besides are at the same time complicated with a respiratory phenomenon in the first place the function of alimentation emancipated from the personal consciousness may become exaggerated and give rise to various forms of bulimia patients affected with bulimia cannot stop eating they constantly ask for food the fact of bulimia it is true exists in hysteria but be on your guard it mostly belongs to psychasthenic impulsions it is to be met with among those patients who feel weakened depressed and have taken the mania to revive themselves by some stimulant or other adopted more or less at haphazard some have the mania of always eating others and they are the most numerous have the mania of drinking alcohol yet there is one form of those manias which is in relation with a hysterical phenomenon and which it is right that you should know it is polydipsia which is not to be confounded with dipsomania the dipsomaniac seeks after exciting drinks and it is alcohol he wants to swallow the polydipsical is not so hard to please he is content with pure water but he swallows twenty litres of it a day this excess of drink has an inevitable consequence namely an excess of urine polyuria some of these patients discharge eighteen litres a day curiously enough more stress has generally been laid on this consequence of the phenomenon than on the phenomenon itself polyuria was studied among the disturbances of the renal secretion to be met with in neuropathic patients i think it should rather be connected with deliriums or with the disturbances of the functions of alimentation which bring about the impulsion to drink indefinitely but after those great automatisms of the function of alimentation we have to point out a host of partial disturbances spasms of the jaws and cheeks spasms of the pharynx tics of perpetual spitting and salivation tialism which is frequent in certain melancholy deliriums exists also in hysteria i do not insist on the spasms of the oesophagus to which we alluded in our last lecture 
you also know that ticks of eructation and the belches of which i have just spoken to you in connection with the hiccup but i must point out to you a complication of the phenomenon which is called regurgitation mericism some of these patients learn to ruminate like cows they know how to bring back into their mouths the food they have swallowed it has been said that this constituted an odd physiological phenomenon in which the movement of the esophagus was reversed i think rather that it is one of those curious phenomena of aspiration induced by abnormal respirations by making a movement of aspiration very quickly while shutting the glottis and preventing the air from entering into the lungs one induces a vacuum in the thorax which can react on all sides a certain individual who was formerly celebrated in paris thus drew up air through his anus and knew how to eject it in a melodious way we know that many thus draw air into their esophagus but the aspiration into the esophagus may be effected in the opposite direction and throw up the contents of the stomach we shall see this mechanism assume a greater importance still in the following phenomenon the only one that is really important namely hysterical vomiting hysterical vomiting is almost as serious as anorexia itself it is certainly responsible for several deaths it almost always complicates all the preceding disturbances this vomiting is rarely pure that is to say it rarely depends on hysteria alone nowadays as i told you at the outset the attention of physicians is much more directed to associated hysteria to the organic affections that are at the starting point of hysteria or its localizations lately messieurs mathieu and roux in a paper in the gazette des hôpitaux again insisted on this point in connection with hysterical vomitings almost always they said there is at the starting point some organic affection which induces the beginning of the phenomenon this primum mobile may be either the vomitings in pregnancy or alcoholic gastritis or gastritis of any kind or above all ulcers of the stomach of which we shall have to speak again but however it may be what characterizes the phenomenon is the exaggeration and regular and indefinite reproduction of the vomiting long after the action of its cause this vomiting in fact is exceedingly rapid and easy it immediately follows the meal it is accompanied with very little nausea and no effort it is repeated with any kind of food and produces the most dangerous inanition it is also in cases of this kind that the tuberculous complications supervene which almost always terminate hysterical inanitions a rather characteristic phenomenon is that the patients cannot seem to endure the arrest of the vomiting when through any process they are prevented from vomiting they exhibit anguish are agitated writhe in every way complain of a thousand sufferings and finally become unconscious in a great hysterical attack many patients have thus to choose between delirious attacks and perpetual vomiting this is quite the character of an automatic agitation which they can no longer control formerly an apparently very serious accident was always brought close to hysterical vomiting namely the vomiting of blood and these hematemeses were unhesitatingly connected with hysteria it had been noticed and that very rightly too that these hematemeses almost always coincided with the beginning of the menses and it was usually said that these women have their menses through their stomachs at the present time this notion of these neuropathic gastric hemorrhages tends to become obliterated and physicians are inclined to say that they are due to an unrecognized ulcer of the stomach the symptoms that were formerly indicated as conducing to the diagnosis seem to have lost something of their value the pain occurring long after the meal the irregular paroxystic crises the relation with the menses even the relation with moral emotions all that was found again in the ulcer kuttner in eighteen ninety five pointed out a patient whose first vomiting of blood came on after the death of a relative 
he was led to cut open her stomach and found a real ulcer another woman after a scene in which her daughter left home forever had a vomiting of blood which formerly would have been unhesitatingly connected with emotional neuropathic disturbances her stomach was also cut open and an ulcer was found it is in the work of messieurs mathieu and roux that you will find a very well conducted discussion of this fact the authors however hesitate to make a complete denial of purely hysterical hematemesis they admit it in hemorrhagic pituities in pituitous vomitings tinted with blood in hematemesis coinciding with multiple hemorrhages of the skin of the ear then why should it not be admitted that in certain cases this disposition to hemorrhage may be localized in the stomach be very prudent however in this diagnosis which at the present time must be less readily accepted than formerly the same prudence even still greater prudence is of course necessary when you have to deal with fecaloid or still stranger vomitings which some of those subjects may exhibit they are almost always due to simulations or deliriums which you must know how to recognize the real tics of alimentation and respiration we have just described are numerous enough for us not to complicate their list with doubtful phenomena one of the characteristics of the present study of hysteria is that efforts are made to limit the disease more clearly than formerly and to leave out mysterious phenomena or phenomena depending on another malady our enumeration of the symptoms of hysteria is already complete enough and we can now enter upon more general studies on the common characteristics of these diseases end of section twelve